Among the philosophers, the great thinkers, and the common Joes of this world, no question is more controversial than truth. Remarkable as it may seem, I can attest that the following events did occur, whether you believe them to be true or not. That was the voice of reporter Carl Kolchak in the case that we call Legacy of Terror. Directed by Don McDougall and written by Arthur Rowe, this episode dropped on February 14th, 1975, just in time for Valentine's Day. And our romantic lead, Eric Estrada, definitely fits the bill of quite a hunk. And a really not great actor right out of the gate, either. Uh, A very disinterested gentleman, as they might say. I don't know if it comes across well enough that he's supposed to be pretty much fucked up through this episode. Because that's what it's supposed to be, but it doesn't come off that way. No. And I have to say the mythology of this episode, confusing. Like, even after reading the script, I was still kind of confused. Even after going to Wikipedia and trying to learn as much as I could about Quetzalcoatl and all the other Aztec gods, still not buying exactly everything that's going on. No, me either. Oh, and by the way, you're Mike White, and I'm Chris Dashew. Yeah, and this is the Kolchak Tapes, your monthly look at Carl Kolchak and the show that we call The Night Stalker. And possibly a TV movie that was put together from the pieces of two episodes that is quite possibly one of the most bizarre things I've ever seen. Without a doubt, The Demon and the Mummy is something that no one should be subjected to. Because if you've seen the original episodes, which, if you're listening to this right now, you totally have, like we have, it is jarring. It's unsettling, yes. It's so weird. And look, they got Darren McGavin to record narration to make it all fit together. But if you've seen the two episodes, Legacy of Terror and Demon and Lace, you know how they work on their own. And when they are mushed together, and when I mean mushed, I mean, you know how those cars, they test them to make sure that they, like, when they crash, the airbags go off and they run, like, 100 miles an hour into a concrete wall. That's what this is like. One episode is a concrete wall, the other one's a truck. They're mashed together so poorly that it's, like, shocking that anyone thought that was a good idea. Yeah, in this world of mashup culture where we can have an entire album of 50 Cent rapping over the songs of Queen and it works really well... These two things do not go together, even though they've got the same actors, the same characters, the same guy doing the voiceover for both. Yeah, but let's let's save that. And they aired consecutively when they first aired. But let's save that for a little bit later. Let's talk about... The base episode? Base episode? Yeah, sure. Let's talk about Legacy of Terror. I think it's an interesting episode. Again, like you said, the mythology is a little strange. I think the ending is probably the worst part of the episode, in my opinion. It it makes no sense. And I'm going to ask you your thoughts. Did you think the the villain zombie Monono opening his eyes at the end was intentional, or they just let the camera sit on him too long? I was very curious about that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm erring on the side of they left the camera too on too long, or they didn't edit it tight enough. Yeah, I kind of think, oh, they should have faded to black a little bit sooner. I would agree 100% because you see his eyes open and it's like, wait, what? We are back into territory where we have scripts for this. So I managed to read the script of it. And interestingly enough, this was not called Legacy of Terror out of the gate. That was handwritten in on the script. It was called Lord of the Smoking Mirror. That would have been a better title. Yeah, I think so too. 
Very interestingly, the script was originally written January 10th, 1975, revisions January 13th, 1975, and there were a lot of things that happened between when those last revisions were done and when the episode actually aired, which was a month later. Um, there were whole scenes that were cut out of there. The whole idea of Carl reporting to this uh, hotel to please Vincenzo and Ron. And I loved what a dick Ron was being at the hotel with him. Just like, oh, well, the, the clock says uh, 8.15 and, and my watch says 8.17. And, and then Vincenzo just shutting him down with, well, why don't we call Greenwich Observatory? Well, and I'll tell you what, I really liked seeing them outside of the INS offices. Yeah, that was very nice. Because that's something like – that's a big complaint I have with this show is that the characters of Vincenzo and Ron and Miss Emily honestly feel like they're just trapped in the offices. Let these people have a break for God's sakes. Like they're just trapped in there. Seeing them out and about was kind of was kind of nice. I mean it was different. It was very nice to see them though – if memory serves, Ron kind of disappears once Kolchak, like Kolchak arrives, he hears a police band radio. He's like, Oh, I got to go. He comes back later on. And I don't think Ron's hanging out. Is he? Uh, no, he's gone. Yeah. I don't know what's going on. Maybe he's at home smoking his pipe. Yeah. His pipe. That's supposed to make him look better. Talk about when he goes, yeah, my wife says it makes me look smarter. I was like, oh. really, really, Ron, you're going to go for that, huh? About that, Ron. Yeah. Yeah. You're not fooling anybody, pal. No. But that whole thing of Kolchak coming back and talking to the two military people and the PR lady from the hotel, that is completely changed in the script, which I found interesting. Really very, very different. And the whole thing of Eric Estrada coming in as this know-nothing higher exec in the hotel chain, which, you know, felt very realistic that the PR lady is just like, I don't know how this guy got his job. He doesn't know how to do his job. He's a complete moron, but nobody can touch him. I've really felt for her in that position. Yeah, well, and, you know, I mean, it's it's pretty real to life. I mean, we've all heard about that or possibly experienced it ourselves, so. I can only hope that those people that, are in those positions will eventually get sacrificed to an Aztec god. Yeah, right. They'll disappear along with upper management. That's the crazy thing. Upper management disappears as well. Because upper management are the bad guys in this episode. Yeah, that is very strange. The people that own the entire hotel chain. Are like the villains. Yeah. But you don't even see them until the very end, which I thought was a kind of a really not great... uh, I didn't think that was a really very good choice. Who are you thinking were upper management in that? Andrews. Okay. And Pepe Torres is kind of upper, not like super upper. I guess he's middle level management, but Andrews is like the owner of the hotel chain and he disappears at the end because, I mean, he disappears because he's the one trying to sacrifice Pepe to Monono. Is it Monono? I thought it had a, he had a weird name. It's probably not Monono, but that's gonna, that's gonna upset at least one sci fi writer and I know he's gonna give me shit on Facebook for it, so. Nana. Match Manudos? Yeah. Match Manudo? sure. Match Mantau. I mean, I even looked up Nanutsen on Wikipedia, and it was just like, oh no, he seems like a good guy. And then there was like, there was the bad guy that they talked about, 
who was like the god of night, and I was like, okay, well, it's probably him who's actually the- no, no, it's Nanutsen. He's supposed to be that guy. I'm like, really? Okay. Pepe, just for folks listening, is the Eric Estrada character. And so the whole gist of this is that these Aztecs are living amongst us. They are doing human sacrifices every 52 years to Nanutsen, who is going to come back in 2027 and I guess reclaim his throne or something. So they've been doing this every 52 years like clockwork. They make four sacrifices of heroes or really important people. And then the fifth sacrifice is somebody who voluntarily goes under the knife. So they have Pepe, who has agreed to do this, and he's going to live his life as a king for a year beforehand. His mom will be taken care of. And I do like that. So they claim. Right. I do like that speech that he gives to Kolchak towards the end where he's just like, listen, man. I probably would have gotten wasted by the cops before I was 25 anyway. What am I saving myself for? Another job as a box boy. Living with the old lady. I got the year everybody wants. But look, I figure it this way. Better to be king for a night than schmuck for a lifetime. (laughs) Well, it's, you know, better to rule in heaven than serve in hell, right? Exactly. Which, I mean, again, like, look, Eric Estrada is not the problem with this episode. The problem with this episode is just, I think, a general lack of understanding of making a compelling mythology and also not really having an an interesting conclusion. The conclusion seems really kind of, I wouldn't say dorky, but it just doesn't work very well. And the investigation itself does not work for me. The two. No, it's really, really rushed and bizarre. So normally we have Kolchak visit at least two or three people and get little bits of information in order to put these things together. And in this one, he goes to visit Sorrel Book, who most people know as Boss Hogg from Dukes of Hazard. In this, he's playing a taxidermist who has this weird thing about reporters who describe taxidermied animals as being stuffed, and he really chafes under that. WTF. I don't understand. Sure. Because taxidermists are getting reported on all the time. Yeah, there are tons of stories. I mean, pretty much you open up a newspaper any day of the week and you're going to see at least a handful of taxidermy stories in there. Sure. Yeah. They need a really good PR person. They need the PR person who's running the hotel PR Tilly, I think her name is, and she is doing a good job. And I love how she shuts down Kolchak and the military guy, uh, and Kolchak, or no, it's Vincenzo, because they are over-talking the military woman, Captain Madge Timmons, and she's just like, hey, let her speak. She actually can talk, you know? And I was just like, wow, a blow for feminism finally on this show. If she's so smart, then let her talk. Right. Cor- correct. No, it's it was it's like and there's there's parts of this episode that are good that are interesting. I think unfortunately though on a whole the episode suffers from what I would deem at this point just what I come to expect from a Kolchak episode. And I want to talk about those other two guys that I mean one guy gives Carl barely any information and he's supposed to be he's supposed to be somebody who he's not like he's there's that whole thing like oh the guy you want to talk to is on vacation it's a very frustrating scene it's just like really it's super weird the guy's like well why don't you talk about these things in mexico the the industrial things in mexico it's like what the that's where we're fucking here so 
Like, I get what he was trying to do is like, but like, it's almost like he was trying to cover something up and it's like, why? So, it, yeah. And then you have the scene with the professor, which it's almost like basal exposition. <laughs> Tell us everything about what we're not understanding in this episode, please. Not to be a stickler or anything, but I thought that all of this stuff would have gone down in 2012, not 2027. And I thought that the Mayan calendar was all, well, it's a different base than ours, which is base 12, but I can't remember what their base is. But I thought that their whole thing was, oh yeah, the world's going to end in 2012. And that's why everybody, you know, that's why John Cusack was saving the world back then. Base 52, sir, apparently, according to Kolchak. You know, which, again, is the same thing that we've seen in how many episodes now, where it's this whole, these things happen in cycles, and Kolchak is the only one that figures out that this thing is happening. You know, this is our Victor Tombs thing. Again, this is going all the way back to the Night Strangler, with this guy shows up every X number of years and kills X number of people, and I have to stop him before he kills the last one. Boy, Jeepers Creepers isn't great, isn't it? It's it's just that that whole trope is really played out. This one was written by Arthur Rowe, who wrote one of your favorite episodes of the entire show, which is The Energy Eater, where we've got the The guy- The (laughs) Predator? The Native American uh, bear spirit, your friend, Matchy Mantow. Matchy Mantow. Little Matchy Manito. Which was another one of these combo episodes where they took the Energy Eater and Firefall and they made them into Crackle of Death. So we're going to have to go back and watch Crackle of Death. And I can only imagine that it's going to be as terrible as the demon and the mummy. Kolchak is on the trail of two serial killers. Kids are dropping dead in the campus. We're dealing with psychotics here. Oh, really? What same person cuts our human hearts? The police want him out of the way. You want to take another trip with the police car, Kolchak? And the killers want him dead. I turned around and there was a great big red and yellow chicken. I can dig it. All these out-of-towners are going to get the impression that Chicago's filled with nuts. Darren McGavin is Kolchak the Night Stalker in Demon and the Mummy next. I kind of don't want to talk about it. It's so infuriating. Because it makes no sense why it, I mean, it makes sense why it exists, but in the form that it's presented in, it makes no sense. Like, it actually doesn't make a lick of sense. So you take the beginning of Demon and Lice, which we talked about last month, and if folks want to go back and listen to that episode, I would highly recommend it, because otherwise you might not understand the rest of this discussion. It starts with that, and then we take Legacy of Terror, and we put it right in the middle, and then we end with Demon and Lace. And there are just these weird little mentions of the case from the first part in the second part, and then the end of it, oh my god, the end where they try to wrap up both of the stories at the same time? What the fuck, dude? It doesn't work very- Like, look, Demon and Lace and Legacy of Terror are just okay episodes on their own, but man, when you mash them together, <whistles> the, who, the cracks, the cracks show and then some. And yeah, trying to put them together in an ending is just- They're like, the themes aren't even the same. Like, I guess they're both ancient evils, but- mm. I feel like I could rewrite this to make it work and maybe even reuse the footage but 
the way that it is now, I mean, so you, you're right. You've got two ancient evils. The demon almost looks as bad as the mummy at the end. I mean, we've got both of these like kind of Hong Kong type, you know, creatures at the end here. And it's like, okay, maybe you say that they are working together. Recast this whole Mesopotamian thing of demon and lace as being more of an Aztec thing. Who's going to know that we're looking at, you know, Sumerian glyphs on the thing rather than whatever the Aztecs were using? Go ahead and just say that he got this tablet somewhere in Mexico or something and Bring those two monsters together. Make them either the same monster or say that they work in conjunction with one another. One right. possesses the living, the other will possess the dead in order to make this stuff cohese. But then even the way that they do those two stories and the way that they chunk them up, it's like every once in a while during the, uh, the mummy episode, the legacy of terror, Kolchak will be like, Oh yeah, remember those three dead guys from earlier? And they even have that weird insert shot where it's like a picture of a guy we've never seen before, and then two image grabs basically from the earlier in the episode, and they just throw it into Legacy of Terror section. It's like, don't forget about these guys; they're going to come back eventually. Yeah, it felt very much like the what is it? Enter the Dragon. Oh god, where it's just like his head on a on like a on like a wooden stick that someone's holding in front of their face, or it's like taped on a mirror. It feels so cheap. It feels so cheap and poorly done. Look, this is – look, I don't want to belittle or bemoan anyone, but it is a hack job. It is a hack job in the hackiest of senses. Look, here's the thing. It was aired as part of a – you know, it's a TV movie, so it's an hour and 40 minutes. And the version that I watched that you provided was part of a Kolchak marathon. So it's like, but why do you have to pad it out? Did you not air these – that's the question. Did they not air these two episodes separately? Because if you aired them separately and you have this, then you've seen the same stories once for Legacy, once for Demon and Lace, and then you've seen them together as one whole piece. So you've seen the same stories essentially twice. My favorite thing about watching The Demon and the Mummy was watching the commercials from Sci-Fi Network from whatever year that was. Agreed. That, that made it. That made it worth it. Walter Koenig shilling the Star Trek albums. I was so happy. Or uh, what is it? Special effects cookbooks. Your, your child's dragon cake can breathe smoke. Holy cow, a dragon cake that breathes safe, mysterious smoke. Jello that glows in the dark. Food that looks like hungry dinosaurs. Introducing the amazing special effects cookbook. Now you can create food that smokes, erupts, moves, sings, and talks. Tickle the kids with a cucumber shark powered by regular food. Make a volcano cake erupt delicious lava icing. Look, a monster in the popcorn. Fruit flowers, even holiday decorations. These safe, tasty recipes are easy to make with regular kitchen ingredients and cost only pennies. The cookbook is fully illustrated for a perfect special effect every time. Order now and receive free special effects recipes for your pets. This garnishing secrets book, food decorator, paring knife, and this amazing musical candle that plays the happy birthday song when lit. Wow! And then towards the end, they've got a commercial that Stan Lee will be hosting a Marvel marathon. I'm just like, okay, what the hell are they going to show? I mean, it sounds like they were going to show the Doctor Strange TV movie. Are they going to show old episodes of the Nicholas Hammond Spider-Man and the Bill Bixby Incredible Hulk? I mean, what are they going to do on the Marvel Marathon circa whatever year this was? 
Well, the show Captain America also is what it looked like. Oh, yeah, that's right. I forgot about yeah. that. Yeah, it's it was kind of bizarre that that this was like a thing that was being aired on sci-fi, but at the same time, the you know, the commercials were the best part <laughs> without a doubt. I mean, the way that they hacked up that Jackie Vernon section and that whole tuna fish thing was gone. And did you notice that they got Ron, um, Jack Greenwich to record a new line as well during that section that we were talking about with the pipe? He goes, you told Kolchak to wrap up the story on the campus deaths. And I was like, Oh, okay. <laughs> some of that, some of that hot, hot ADR coming in to help out with the cohesiveness of the story now. Right. Yikes. It's been seven days since the professional football player was killed. Okay, thanks. Thanks, off-screen voice, for telling us what went on. You're about as dense as Captain Joe Siska. Okay, good. We're we're tying the two police officers together. Can you imagine if they tried to do something like this nowadays? I mean, have they done something like this nowadays? Mm, No, that's my point. Can you imagine if they tried to do something like this? Like, can you imagine them taking, say, something that's hot right now? Imagine them taking season eight of Game of Thrones and cutting all eight episodes into one episode. Oh, trust me. They're they're working on a fan edit right now. Oh, I'm sure they are. Fanedit.org. I'm sure they're going to do that. And they're going to rearrange stuff in order to take out, if there was any dramatic tension, to take that right out of there. Well, that's been the whole show from the get-go. But, I mean, that's the same thing. It's that same idea where it's like, you can't get away with this. Because it's real bad. No amount of talented writing and editing and ADRing can change that these episodes have nothing to do with one another. What they should have possibly done, other than the stuff that I've already outlined, is to go back to the famous Family Ties thing when Michael J. Fox was out being busy and do a fucking clip show. And just, you know, it's... Mallory and, you know, mom and dad, and they're sitting around, and I can't remember the other sister's name, uh, Tina Yothers, and they start talking about things, and it's like, remember that time when Alex did this, and then they do a clip show, and it's just like, okay, great, go for it. I mean, this reminds me of the cage, the the Star Trek pilot, where they oh yeah, where they took those things from the pilot and they put them into another episode, but with that. It kind of actually worked because it's like we're presenting evidence and there's enough of a story here to actually make sense of this. That's the best comparison, the cage. You're right. That actually is the 100% best comparison. Because otherwise, I mean, the the most funny things for me were the things that they were inserting to desperately try to tie these together. That weird moment where Kolchak gives us VO and there's an insert shot of the typewriter and he goes, memo to myself, have lunch with writer Rosalind Winter tomorrow, campus coffee shop. And I was just like, what? Or that, did you freak out when the episode started again because they reused footage from the opening of the show? Yeah. I was like, what the hell is going on? Right? I was like, did it just end and I didn't notice? No, yeah, and again, like, that's the problem with trying to do this with a TV show that is a one-hour show without a mythology, is that you just making fucking messes. It's like you're just, it's like you're putting a finger in a hole with the water coming in and, like, four other holes open up with water. It's like, you can't stop all of this at once. And it's just, God, it's just like it goes from bad to worse to just, like, just turn it off. Just, just, just stop, stop. He's dead already. Like, that's really what this felt like. They're just beating it to death. And look, like, these two episodes apart aren't terrible, but God, the demon and the mummy together is, 
Absolute garb. It's garbage. I got to talk about that end. The end of Demon and the Mummy. So you've got Carl given VO at the end of both of these, you know, or, or we'll actually see Carl giving, you know, the final wrap up in these episodes. <laughs> and instead of just redoing that and having him wrap both of those. And by the time we've, you know, we are wrapping Demon and Lace, which is now the end of that comes after the end of the Legacy of Terror. because Right, because the end of Legacy of Terror happens like halfway through the fucking movie. Which, again, super weird. Super weird. But then their weird decision to not give Carl the full voiceover and say, okay, here's what happened with Demon in Lace, and here's what happened with Legacy of Terror. Instead, rather than him saying, I hear that Pepe became a box boy, they cut in Pepe going, I could become a box boy. And it's like, what? <laughs> The campus security force insisted on calling the Chicago police to press charges against me, but they found a sudden surprising resistance from Dr. C. Evans Spade, who claimed the tablet had been broken accidentally. And another thing. Did I tell you Pepe had not been found? Well, Rosalind discovered not only the clue to his disappearance, but Pepe. What am I saving myself for? Another job as a box boy? What the fuck just happened? And it's like super quick and then bam, it ends. I could become a box boy. Da, 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 da. Beep. That's all, folks. Next on Sci-Fi. More ways to make special effects cookbooks. Are Angels Among Us? Buy the New Time Life series. Oh, my God. I'm surprised there wasn't an advertisement for sightings next at night. Oh, man. I loved sightings. I loved the Time Life uh, Aliens books that they had. And they had the one guy. I don't know if you remember these, but they had a guy who was first he was a skeptic and his buddy was trying to sell him the book every time the guy would be like well what happened and the other dude would be like read the book well there just might be something to it ben randall commenting on time life's popular series mysteries of the unknown i've always been a little curious about unexplained phenomena because of personal experiences what do you mean well like for example can you sense when something's about to happen well yeah i mean everyone's a little psychic but uh what about ufos I don't know. Lots of people swear they've seen them. Ever experienced deja vu? Sort of. Like, I went into this old 19th century farmhouse, and I I just knew I'd been there before. In another life? <laughs> I'm not ready for that. <laughs> ready for this? Mystic places? Uh-huh. It's from Time Life. Talks about things like the Nazca Mines. Were they runways for alien spaceships? And did those aliens interbreed with the ancient Peruvians? Did they? <laughs> Read the book. Read about the medieval warriors who appeared before Stephen Jenkins in 1936. Then he saw him again 38 years later. That true. Read the book. Read about Aleister Crowley and his bride. They spent a honeymoon night in the king's chamber of the Great Pyramid. What happened? Read the book. Read about Cyrus T's belief that people live in the center of the earth. Admiral Byrd looked into it. Know what he found? I know. Read the book. Read Mystic Places. It's yours free for 10 days. If you keep it, other volumes will follow one about every other month. You'll receive psychic powers, followed by psychic voyages and phantom encounters. Every volume written by experts. They give you all the information so you can decide for yourself. I've decided. I'm ready to order. The books? The books. And the food. Waiter. 
And then they had a second commercial where it was a couple and they were on vacation and this dude, the skeptic from the first commercial shows up and starts telling stories and they're like, well, what happened? He's like, read the book. Where's mother? Give thanks for all you What's going on? An incantation. Native Americans believe there's a spiritual energy here. Do you? Well, I am intrigued with mystic places from some of my reading. How about you? You read a ben Randall, talking about Time Life's captivating series, Mysteries of the Unknown. Hmm. Mystic places. Not my thing, but... Look at this cigar-shaped cloud. Then the paranormal experience has really started. Like what? Read the book. Read about the strange voyage of Cleopatra's Needle, a 68-foot pillar dedicated to the... What happened? Read the book. Read Mystic Places. It's yours free for 10 days. Keep it and other volumes will follow, one about every other month, including psychic powers, then psychic voyages, and dreams and dreaming. Each is an unbiased presentation, so you can draw your own conclusions. I'm getting psyched up about this psychic business. Then why not get tickets for the Sacred Earth Tour? Oh, we'll get the tickets. And the books. Yeah, you like you said, the commercials, best part of all this. <laughs> We're talking more about the commercials than anything else. But overall, I would say Legacy of Terror, it okay. fall more towards the not as good as other episodes for me. No, just okay, not great. The sight of a shirtless Eric Estrada with the headdress and everything, I liked the the guys dressed up in the bird and the jaguar costumes and the actual mummy itself, okay. Though I still don't get this whole, I guess they meant the tallest contiguous staircase, because when he was talking about the tallest staircase in Chicago, I was like, well, what year was the Sears Tower built? Because that seems like that or the Hancock Tower would have been the tallest staircase. But then when they go to, what is it, they go to Soldier Field or something. No, they go to the sports arena. Oh, that's right. They can't use the name of it. It's in the script, but they can't the use The sports arena, sir. The sports arena. <laughs> when they go to the sports arena, I was like, oh, I guess it's just a tall staircase that's all together. It's a sports arena, sir. Something that has to have, what, 52 steps? That's right. The sports arena has that. Oh, the sports arena thing made me laugh so fucking hard when I heard it. I was like, oh, God. <laughs> wow, really? That bad, huh? Yeah, this episode's okay. But again, it's on the lower end of the spectrum. And I would say, at this point, Demon and Lace, I like that better. That seemed to hold together yeah. a little better. And everything is better than the Demon and the Mummy. Yeah, oh, my God. Go ahead, skip that. Sorry that we couldn't, but we have to be completists. 100% this bitch, you know what I'm saying? That's right. We have no choice. Well, Chris, when you're not dancing around in a bird costume or playing a flute, where can people find you? When I'm not dancing around in a bird costume or playing a skin flute, I'm probably over at the Culture Cast talking about movies with a rotating cavalcade of guests. You are included in that group. It is June. It is a month that we will be talking about summer camp horror movies. And my friend and your friend in Christ, Jess Byard, helped me program that month. And guess what? Her name starts with a J. Uh, so uh, that's just by her June. So there you go. Wow. Very yeah. fancy. Very fancy. Fancy smancy. Uh, but summer camp horror movies. If you like horror movies, come on down to the Culture Cast. That is culturecast.com. Culture with a K at the beginning. C in the middle. And uh, you can also find me on a little podcast that I do called Chronicles from the Crypt with my buddy Mike 
Wallace, where we talk about Tales from the Crypt, the horror anthology series from HBO. When you are not here or dressed up in a bird costume, where are you, Mike? Well, I really like to wear big golden headdresses over my head when I'm not doing that. Uh, or I like to talk with you and Father Malone about Twilight Zone from the mid-80s, what we call Dreams for Sale, which is available over at TwilightZone85.com. Or I do a little podcast called The Projection Booth, where every week we talk about different movies, kind of all over the map, though people are asking me to be a little bit more diverse with my movie selections. I would have thought that that was the case, but apparently I'm not diverse enough. You're diverse enough for me, but uh, what do I know? I just have to watch the weird movies you have me on for. Speaking of, you can find the Taking of Tiger Mountain Revisited episode out there now. I'm on it. Thanks to John Walker for providing our theme music. Thanks to everybody for listening. Please head on over to iTunes where you can review the show. You know, if we get a couple more reviews, maybe it'll actually show up in the new and notable section, even though we've been doing the show for, what, three years now, it seems like? Yeah, it's been a while. I mean, we're almost to the run, to the end of the run. So you know what? Fuck it. I don't care if anybody reviews the show or not. Fuck it if all. You did, if you did, great. If not, you know what? what? Why are you listening and not reviewing? Yeah, that's weird. That's I mean, it's it's worse than weird. It's low. It's dishonest. Oh boy, you're just alienating the rest of the people. That- <laughs> <laughs> Next month we're going to be back talking about the final episode of the Kolchak reboot kind of because we'll also be talking about some of the episodes that didn't get made or released. Well, I guess they just didn't get made. And then we'll have one more discussion about quote unquote new Kolchak where we talk about an unused script that was used for the X-Files reboot. Man, this is going to be painful, but uh, that'll be two months after next month. So look forward to that. And you know what? Nothing can be worse than the demon and the mummy at this point. No, though I'm almost curious about Crackle of Death, just to see how it compares. You're a sadist. I am. So am I. That's why we get along so well. Well, officially the case was closed. They never found Andrews or Pepe. Though I did hear that Pepe was working in a supermarket downstate. Then Outson was dormant again. And I urged that he be destroyed. Without his fifth sacrifice, will he still rise up 52 years from now? The police who found me didn't seem to understand what I was talking about. They felt that Nanautzen was a valuable museum piece and nothing more, just dead antiquity. Well, all I know is I won't be around 50 years from now for the millennium. Will you? Will you?